listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hi, everyone. This is Jenny Bayless, and we have a special edition episode with Mark Jones from Top Choice Inspectors. How are you doing, Mark? Hey, Jenny. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, Looking forward to this uh, little podcast and super excited. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. I know you and I have been working together for many years now, so I I was excited to have you on the podcast to impart your wisdom to everybody uh, regarding the inspection space. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, kind of meet your audience and uh, kind of explain how this uh, home inspection could actually be used as a really, really good tool to help them make money in their, uh, their, their flipping or investing. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could just give us a brief background um, regarding your experience, just to give everyone some context. Sure. Hey, um, yeah, I kind of have a wild story on how I ended up in the home inspection business. I uh, uh, finished up school um, from the uh, Midwest, the Detroit area, and uh, found my way out to Colorado uh, and started working. uh, At the time, I was working kind of corporately and then kind of moved into contracting. I really enjoyed working on homes and uh, had some construction skills um, for my youth. So I, I started getting into actually doing some investments and did some, some flipping and owned a, a contract, uh, a contracting company myself. And then when the, <laughs> the great crash of 07 happened, I found myself um, in a weird spot with not a lot of work and all these homes were going being foreclosed on. So I'm partnered up actually with a couple people in the bank industry and started inspecting homes for banks. Uh, I would change the locks, winterize them, um, do all sorts of little things that uh, they needed done. Um, and I would continually monitor those homes monthly. And I noticed my list was getting shorter and shorter. And uh, I was like, "Where what's happening to these homes? Well, guess what? They were actually selling again. So around 2009, I said, hey, I could, I could actually inspect these homes for realtors. So I kind of started a home inspection business. I worked for another guy who had a full-time inspection company. I had my contracting business on the side. And then uh, by 2012, I was so busy, I just did this full-time. Um, from there, I've kind of done a couple uh, inspection companies, one solo, one with some partners. And um, just like every good partnership, it ends. So uh, I'm back to kind of running my own show uh, with a bunch of employees now. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been fun watching you grow um, your businesses over the past couple of years. And, um, you know, I, I definitely can tell that you are really good at training your employee inspectors as well so that they're, you know, seeing the same things that you're seeing um, and helping everybody out with that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, we've had, I've had, you know, it's it's been fun to fall forward, right? I mean, uh, anyone who says that owning a business is easy uh, probably isn't doing it right. <laughs> but uh, we've, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a great journey. And uh, I really kind of teach my inspectors that uh, if their mama isn't proud of their effort, they probably shouldn't work for me. So yeah, <laughs> I and like it, that. Uh, it pays forward. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I know when we were talking before, um, you mentioned that you're really keen on the fact that an inspection is just key to an investor's success. And I was wondering if you could maybe go into a little bit more detail about, uh, about that concept. Yeah. I mean, the home inspection is kind of the, um, 
it's an interesting part of the real estate process uh, for buyers, normal buyers who are going to move and live in their home. Uh, I'm a very important part of their life for like 10 minutes. You know, they find me, they get the inspection they negotiate, they move on. Um, where an investor, I think could really, really use a great home inspection, home inspection company. Uh, I really think there's like three parts to that whole process that uh, is underutilized. Um, the main, the main part of the inspection is obviously to find defects in the home before they're purchasing the, the property, right? And the biggest thing on investing, right, is you make money when you buy. If you buy right, you can sell right. Um, you know, if you overpay for something. And I think the, uh, the best way, the absolute best way for uh, investors to kind of go about it is meet with their home inspector and kind of decide what the best level of approach is. Not every inspection is the same. Um, are they needing a home inspection to find out everything? So they're going to take all that information back to the uh, seller and say, hey, look at all the things we found. All this stuff needs to be fixed. We need to lower the purchase price. Or let's say they're kind of stuck on the purchase price. Uh, the seller knows what they have and they need to know what they have to do to bring it to the level, whether it's going to be a tenant-occupied situation, whether it's going to be a flip, whether it's going to be a uh, income property, like they're going to maybe convert the basement to a living situation. There's lots of things we as inspectors can help with um, kind of helping that cost, right? So you know what you're getting into in the beginning. And uh, a lot of investors kind of skip that step. They're like, oh, I know stuff's going to be wrong. I'm going to remodel it anyway. And if you can use this as a negotiating tool, great. If you can use this as a informational tool and a negotiating tool, even better. And the third, and I think maybe the one of the most important things is if you're going to use this as a long-term rental, maybe a VRBO, um, anything like that, our inspection report, and here's the beautiful thing, it's all in the cloud now. So it's not just one document. It can be updated. So you could have a third-party company, like an inspection company, kind of do the, the legwork. We could be the bad guys, so to speak. We could... Uh, uh, I know property management companies have different things, but we can hold... Uh, feet to the fire. It can be a living, breathing document that can uh, kind of travel with the inspection. Uh, the inspection could travel with the home uh, throughout the journey of the investment process. And uh, with everything being on the cloud now, um, it doesn't have to be a one and done scenario. So I think there's uh, three huge benefits that investors can use depending on what their needs are at the time of purchasing the home. Yeah, I agree. And something that I know I've mentioned to you that I really appreciate is that um, your reports capture the details surrounding a lot of the components. So, um, you know, if a water heater goes out five years into owning a property, I don't have to scramble and try to figure out what the previous water heater was, what the size was, that sort of thing. I'm able to just go to that report and say, oh yeah, okay, it was a 40 gallon, you know, blah, 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 and, and just kind of go from there. Um, so I think that that is also really nice that it, it, it captures um, the components of a home. Uh, so I really, really like that. I mean, to be honest, uh, the home inspection is almost the biggest waste of data collected I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> I gather so much information, probably the most information that's ever been gathered on a structure at one time, uh, maybe even more than actually at the build because we uh, assess more than just what the builders look at. So I have all this information essentially gathered and detailed in a multiple page report that's easily searchable and uh, essentially gets discarded on a daily basis like this. I mean, it is a colossal waste of information. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at multiple ways to kind of, uh, 
how that can benefit people. And I'm, I'm plugging that in, in the near future to a few programs. So cool. well, I'm looking forward to, to hearing, hearing about that and how we can, you know, better serve our buyers and everything as well um, on that back end. That's um, right. Coming soon. You had to have me on again to get that. <laughs> Sounds <Get> good. That. <laughs> so I was wondering, since this is a Colorado Springs podcast, I was wondering if you could kind of share with the audience what typical things that uh, you would say are probably more prevalent in the Springs versus other areas. Like for instance, hail, that's probably a very common uh, issue that you find here, but what other uh, items do you typically find that's pretty local? Yeah. So Colorado Springs is a really, really wild place to live, right? Because you have extreme weather conditions. If you're looking kind of like the greater Colorado Springs area, you've got Fountain, Colorado down South, and then you've got Monument up North. You're going from 7,000 and 8,000 feet down to elevations of just like under 6,000 feet. So, uh, at 7,000 feet, there are certain changes that homes have to be built with. So you've got a 40-pound per square foot roof structure versus a 30-pound per square foot roof structure. You have more ice and water, let's uh, say roofing component uh, requirements at certain levels. Uh, elevation has one thing. The next thing is the soils. Uh, we have sandy soils up north, like in the Briargate area. It's very sandy where you go down close to the mountain and there's some, some landslide issues couple that in with the rock ribbon mines and the uh oh man i'm forgetting by uccs there cragmore the cragmore mines so um there's so many different both uh <laughs> unique characteristics to live in colorado springs um and there's actually an area even that has a hotbed of termites so there's certain areas in each neighborhood uh having an inspector that's worked in this in this um this town and kind of knows what what's going on with just that neighborhood really helps um and it also could help an investor too kind of knowing like hey if this is the risk tolerance that you want to take on um the other the other cool thing about colorado springs is that you go from these beautiful old homes that were built probably without even indoor plumbing you know the kitchen and bathroom is an addition to these uh gorgeous modern structures like you know, not 10 minutes away, uh, being from a bigger city, if, you know, you literally had to travel outside where I'm from 15, 20 minutes before you got into the newer structures. So to have that, uh, to be close to whatever you want to be and kind of find the house and what you like, it's all here in the city and it's absolutely incredible. Uh, as an inspector, some of the other unique things, um, we don't see a lot of metal roofs here in Colorado, which you'd think would hold up better to the hail, um, a lot of asphalt, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of different, uh, types of construction, but, uh, for the most part, it's all wood framed where you'd think maybe a lot more would be uh, concrete or brick, uh, like that's where I'm from. I was used to a lot more brick homes. So, um, but the biggest and kind of weirdest thing, and this goes for most of Colorado in general, but a lot of people move here and uh, they're like Colorado Springs, they go in the basement and some people are like, well, what's a basement? The second they see these walls and the walls aren't nailed from the ceiling to the floor. There's this gap there. And people are like, what is going on? And when I explain that the whole floor can move and flex and it's supposed to, um, that could that can be a weird pill to swallow for some people. <laughs> so I make I have fun with it. You know, I say, hey, the pool table leveling business is always busy, you know, the basement <laughs> pool table leveling, but <laughs> Colorado Springs is such a, such a wild, cool area, one to live, but two to even just 
how um, the history and the architecture is actually um, built to kind of say, hey, we can't beat the bentonite, the expansive soils. So let's join it with this uh, with this floating wall basement. And it's been really cool to see how things have evolved. Yeah, I think that's something that maybe let's expand on that a little bit because sure. um, like basically I think that it's a foreign concept to most people and especially myself, you know, before I moved to Colorado that like you said, there's a, a floating wall and a floating floor in the basement. Um, can you explain to people what the, the detriment to not having that floating wall all the way up to the roof uh, could entail? Oh, absolutely. And so what what happens here, we have uh, bentonite or expansive soils. And what happens if that gets wet, and we're pretty dry here, but every now and then we get some massive rains. And when that gets wet, it, it heaves up. And uh, a lot of people look at a concrete floor and they're like, oh, this is strong. In building terms, it's actually really weak. Um, so the pressure that that floor, that that bentonite can create on that floor will actually move that slab with, with ease. So as it pushes up in the home, it'll begin to push the wall structure. So if the wall structure is not floating or able to move up and down, um, the wall structure will begin to push into the, the ceiling joist or the floor joist above it, started causing the first floor to start seeing some bowing and some cracking. And then that can even uh, continue and start pushing into the second floor. So, um, before like 92, they didn't require floating walls. And a lot of those older homes have um, some movement. And sometimes you can go in there and kind of hit the panic button because you're like, wow, why is this house uneven? And, you know, most of the time, all the heaving has taken place. And as long as the grading's good, you, it's okay to have some movement. And we're okay with that. But uh, if there's active cracks painted over um, buckling in the drywall, then it's like, well, maybe this is still moving. And that's something we need to look at. But 95% of the movement is because the grating outside is allowing water to get under there. Um, so these newer homes, they have these floating walls, so it allows things to move. It doesn't stop the movement, and you still need to maintain your grating, but it does allow for some movement uh, without showing signs of cracking or failure. And what they do is they take all the weight of the house, and when the engineers figured out they're great and smart and they figure out how much the house weighs, they take all the load and they... Um, they send it kind of down a structural column and sitting on a footer. So the bentonite doesn't have enough strength to move the footer, but it'll move the floor around it. So it'll kind of, it'll kind of def the deflection will be transferred to the floor. So around some of the structural columns, you actually see more movement, more heaving. And a lot of people hit the panic button with that. They're like, hey, Mark, what's going on here? Like, this is really popped up around this footer. It's actually doing its job. The house is not knifing into the earth. It's staying steady. But the bentonite is allowing the, 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 the movement to go around the footer, causing like floor movement, but not structural movement. So some crazy engineering out here in Colorado, crazy stuff. Like the guys that thought of this, you know what I mean? Like amazing, amazing engineers. And I'm glad yeah. we got them. It's yeah. fascinating that someone's able to calculate that <laughs> way beyond yes. uh, the scope of my, uh, my brain, I think. So. There's a lot of math involved and yeah. there's a lot of math involved. I know, I've done this a long time. And a lot of the engineers in town, they're great, great people. I mean, some of these guys are Columbia educated, like fantastic engineers and their whole job is just to figure out load calcs, the house and how much it's going to weigh fully loaded, you know? Um, and it will this, if, if the footer's too small, the house can actually start sinking in. 
But if, it, if the footer's too big, it can actually start heaving. So it's amazing, like yeah. the math that, that just goes into building a home out, out here. So. Yeah. And then I think another item that I would love for you to talk about is sewer lines. Because that can be a huge cost to an, uh, an investor. So, yeah. Uh, well, one of my previous trades is when I was doing it, I was in the plumbing trade. So, hots on the left and poop rolls downhill, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, sewer lines, sewer lines, sewer lines. Um, the great news is we can do sewer scopes, and you can do that before you buy. Mm-hmm. Um, most inspection companies, you know, I'd always like to say use top choice inspectors, but <laughs> most home inspection companies can partner with a plumber or they have the cameras themselves. Um, two benefits there. I have my own cameras. We can do sewer scope because um, we don't sell anything. Plumbers do sell sewer lines. So uh, we can give a non-biased opinion. Uh, it, I do partner with a plumbing company. If you want a licensed plumber to look at the sewer line, I have that availability and it's like 75 bucks more. So um, I can go either way on that. But uh, sewers are... Um, extremely expensive and sometimes super cheap all at one time. I've seen some of the worst looking sewer lines on camera just need a clean out. And I've seen minor hairline cracks need a full replacement. Mm. So um, sewer is like a big unknown. You don't know what's underground. Um, And when you do a sewer scope, um, and I don't know all the investors' insurance policies, but there are some homeowners' insurance policies that will write a sewer um, rider that'll actually cover not only backup, but sometimes repair of the sewer line. So doing a sewer scope at the inspection is kind of like a timestamp for one for that for you, but also for the insurance company. You can say, hey, look, we did this scope before we purchased the home and this is the shape it was in. And three days after you purchased it, all of a sudden there's sewer in your basement uh, the insurance company might hit the red flag, red flag button, but you already have a video done by a third-party company that has no interest in selling something, you know? So essentially, we're a disinterested third party. So that's a huge benefit of doing sewer scopes that a lot isn't really talked about in the industry. That's like a little tidbit. If you get that rider from your insurance company, uh, having our videos really helps if there's ever a problem. Mm. But second, um, I know some really good excavators here in Colorado Springs and uh, a lot of them own their own equipment and can do sewer lines for um, a lot less than maybe a lot of people quote. Uh, Sometimes plumbers add on the cost, their cost plus they have to hire out the excavation stuff. So I do have good contacts as well. So that's another reason to have a home inspector because we work with a lot of contractors and we can get stuff. Um, But as Jenny knows, we did a sewer line on a, on a really, really nice, unit and uh it had some some issues and uh i I don't know what the cost on that one's going to be but i've seen it in the tens of thousands of dollars sometimes so yeah and i think that going back to the expansive soils i imagine that has a lot to do with some of the old clay pipes and shifting on that end as well um do you see that a lot we do see slip joints, absolutely. Okay. So that's kind of where the sewer line um, has kind of come apart at the junction. The old clay had a, they were kind of fit together, and the, the the soil has kind of separated them, and now they're kind of offset. That's a slip joint. Uh, sometimes we see bellies, 
And that's where sometimes the sewer line has cracked. Uh, sometimes it has leaked out of one of those slip joints and it's kind of created a, ca- a little cave. So the, the camera goes, dips down into the sewer and comes back out. So it's kind of like underground for a while. Um, I've heard some plumbers say, hey, if the belly's less than eight feet, it's not a big deal. I've heard some plumbers say if the belly's less than four feet, it's not a big deal. It's not like an industry standard. Um, but if it's catching a lot of debris, if there's a lot of stuff in that pipe, that could definitely be a potential for backup. Now, that being said, it could be something that could be cleaned out uh, and maintained. I mean, Roto-Rooter is in business for a reason. They're, uh, you don't always have to replace the sewer line. Um, typically, the times that you really have to replace is when there's lots of cracking um, to where when they're running the camera down there, they see lots of cracks because if they run the hydrojet or the um, cutting wheel down there, they could actually cause more damage to it. Uh, if there's lots and lots of offset joints, lots and lots of root intrusions to where you're you're cleaning it out, you know, every third month, um, it's maybe time to sleeve it. And then obviously a break um, and a break and a failure in the sewer line or a big, massive belly. Those can't be corrected with cleanouts. Those have to be repaired, which typically, especially if it's a belly, they can't they can't usually sleeve that because they have to literally dig up the pipe. And re, they call it rebedding. They have to rebed the sewer line so it's got proper grade, um, which is typically two percent, one percent grades acceptable, which is an eighth of inch of fall per foot. Okay. So, and so there, you, there's work to it. Can oh, you explain ahead. what a, a sewer sleeve is? So a sleeving, a sleeving of pipe is kind of a newer technology. So it has like a bullet. It's like a steel bullet. It's got some fins on it. It actually pulls through the old sewer line, splitting the sewer line and pulling a new liner behind it. So it's one continuous liner. That way they're not digging up your whole yard. They just have to dig in a couple points. They tie the liner in, pull it across and pull it out. So essentially that whole section is one continuous pipe. So less likely to get roots in there. Um, It's a really nice product, but it can't always, it doesn't always solve the problem. So that's a that's a really good option though. Um, it is if it applies. That that's great. And Far then, less cutting, yeah, and digging. <laughs> By and cutting, it, I mean like concrete in the street. You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that going back to your your point previously with the uniqueness of Colorado Springs and the types of homes that we have here, I know some of the ones that um, you and I have worked with closer to the downtown area. They have some strange routing, uh, you know, cutting through other people's yards and just all over the place. So I imagine that, um, you probably see very long lines, uh, downtown as well. Yeah. And sometimes they tie into the neighbors and they go into their garage and their foundation. I mean, uh, you know, when, when they built, you know, when plumbing came to Colorado Springs, I mean, you got some homes down downtown were built before indoor plumbing. So a lot of those uh, homes there, instead of the sewer line, which a lot of people think go out the front of your home, a lot of them out there go out the back. And downtown has such weird, unique lots um, that sometimes out the back means out your backyard, into your neighbor's backyard, down the street, and then it ties in. Um, they weren't as concerned with lot lines and property things. And, and the other thing downtown um, we get into is grease traps. Oh, so the kitchen okay. is on a separate sewer line that goes out and it has a, a box in the yard, literally for catching the grease. And uh, those can be, 
a big issue and they're always separate from the toilet line. And so you can actually have two sewer lines on your property on some of those downtown ones. And those grease traps typically get abandoned. Sometimes they reroute the sewer around them. Sometimes they're still active and uh, those you can't scope past it because my camera essentially goes and just boop, drops in and <laughs> uh, that's it. So yeah. So uh, That's really interesting. I hadn't heard of that before. So that's, yeah, yeah that's good to know. And I know something else that, um, that you have found on many of our properties is uh, electric panels. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could maybe talk about um, what, what you typically see around here for that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So Colorado Springs has a really um, unique history with electricity, you know, with uh, even Tesla being here. They've had um, multiple different uh, services. We have uh, Colorado Springs Utility being owned by the city. I mean, there's, there's, it's a really cool setup, but I've seen multiple meters being improper. We've got 240-volt service on a 120-volt meter um, where the city just hasn't come out and switched that yet. Uh, but but the biggest thing we do see here is the Federal Pacific stat block panel. Um, and pretty much if your home was built like like late 70s, maybe 80, if they had one left on the truck through like um, early 60s, probably had a Federal Pacific stat block panel in it. There is two types of electricians on Federal Pacific stat block panels. One of them is the electrician that says, oh, they're all going to burn down eventually. That's kind of like saying all plumbing is going to leak. Like... And they kind of scare people into having to replace them. There's other electricians that will come out and look at them and say, hey, you know, it's working fine now, but it is old. You might want to consider replacing it. But either way, no company will really certify those panels anymore because they lost their UL listing. So if you're looking at a home in that, you know, 30-year age range there, you're probably going to have a Federal Pacific or a newer panel. Um, They shouldn't scare investors uh, at all. Um, They can be replaced. You know, and it's a great negotiating point. You can say, hey, look, you know, you can't certify this. Neither can the next person that's going to buy the house. So, you know, maybe I know the market's hot, but you can always try and negotiate with it, right? Yeah. So, and I think when safety comes into play, both buyers and sellers are uh, more amenable to each other's, uh, you know, needs in, in that realm as opposed to something more on the cosmetic side of things. So, yeah, I know... Yeah. We have uh, we have replaced many Federal Pacific panels <laughs> in our day. So, and sometimes they can't be replaced. Sometimes they have to be closed off, and the panel has to move outside just because new building standard. Oh, so, interesting. Okay. Yeah, um, some of that's some of that's changing um, location, and that's the uh, that, that kind of comes into this mystery gray area that. People say that it's a four-letter word in the home inspection industry. It's called code. Um, people ask me all the time, is my home to code? The real answer is no. My home's not to code. Your home is not to code. Code changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't inspect for code. We, we inspect for safety and function. And we try and look at when the home was built, like what, what was required at this time. Like if you're buying a home built in 1940 and it doesn't have grounds, yeah, we're going to write up it's not grounded. But let's be honest, uh, it wasn't built with grounds either. It didn't even exist. So there has to be a little bit of knowledge on what you're purchasing, you know, in the age range. Um, I kind of take some of my clients outside when they're kind of feeling overwhelmed and we kind of look at some of the neighbors' homes in the driveway. I say, look, I'm going to find about 80% of the stuff on this home and this home that I'm finding here because it's built 
at this time frame, and these are kind of some of the challenges you face. So um, it's it's all relative. It really is uh, when it comes to things like that, and just uh, being mindful of what you're purchasing and having a good inspector that can educate you. Like, hey, yeah, this isn't right, and it's not too current code, but it's it's safe and it's functional, and that's that's more important, I think, than if it's too code. That's what I really appreciate about you guys is that um, I've never left an inspection, um, you know, of my own feeling scared that, you know, the house is going to explode or something like that. You you put things into reasonable perspective. Okay. You are going to need to focus on this, this probably like, let's not really focus on this. And, and I think that's really good. And I know that my buyers also truly appreciate that because, you know, we want to make sure that the homes are as safe as possible for our tenants who are living in there. But if it's not a safety issue and it's not something that's going to impact their quality of life, and it's just something we need to be mindful of and keep an eye on, I think that is really key. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the big things is the handrail baluster spacing is a great example before like 78, they didn't require any uh, spacing distance. Uh, after 78, it was six inch. And then now it's four inch spacing. So to go into a 1960s home with a foot gap, am I going to put in the report and could someone fall through it? Yeah, absolutely. But um, I'm not going to say, oh, this isn't the code. And this is, you know, it's something that should be fixed. It's something you could relatively do, but um, to expect a seller to kind of rebuild the home because the standard has changed is a little unrealistic, you know? Mm -hmm. And also that's a cheap fix. I would rather keep my eyes on the big things like the roof, the furnace, things that are things that have uh, multiple thousands of dollar repairs. Um, all because my report may say safety issue doesn't mean expensive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I always like to focus on that. Um, one of the things that kind of gets lost in the weeds are windows, right? Like, Windows can be a very, very expensive item um, if you replace all of them, um, but not all the time all of them need to be replaced. And it's okay just to do a couple windows. Uh, some people think if you're doing windows, you have to do all of them. You know, um, pick two or three that are an issue, replace them every couple of years. And before you know it, you've got it done. Uh, yep. You don't have to eat the elephant all in one sitting. So, uh, but I would say windows are kind of like a hidden expense that a lot of uh, people don't look at. Um, that uh, kind of gets overlooked during the home inspection as a function. You know, another thing that's fairly expensive um, that people don't really talk about, and I think they, they should talk more about, is if they're going to do some remodeling, the, they're really cracking down on the lead and the asbestos testing now. So if you start pulling permits in Colorado Springs and you've got popcorn ceiling built in the 80s, or, or sorry, 70, 78, uh, even I've never seen one in the 80s tested yet, but it, in the late 70s, the potential of having asbestos could be there and you start doing some work and scraping it and someone calls on you, you could get yourself in some hot water. So it's something to consider. Wow. So, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. They're really starting to uh, kind of crack down on some of that uh, environmental hazard stuff. So makes sense, especially if you're hiring contractors that aren't certified. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause you don't want that spreading throughout and, and getting mm -hmm. people sick and all that. So that makes total sense. 
but if you catch it before you, you, if you catch, if you do all these things and catch it before you buy, mm-hmm. um, these are all things that can, you can go back to the seller and negotiate on. If, if you wrote the contract that way, I'm not a realtor. I know <laughs> contracts are getting written very interesting right now, but if that's something you're like, and you know, there's also ways to encapsulate asbestos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those are things that, are, that can also be talked about in game plan for if you're in planning, uh, if you're planning on purchasing investment in certain time periods, these are all conversations you should probably have and, and things you should consider. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, that's, that's really enlightening. So I know that you alluded that you have a very interesting story. Uh, oh. to kind of, <laughs> so I was wondering if you could share that with everybody to kind of, you know, get, get, shed some light as to an interesting day in your world. Well, Jenny, I tell people all the time, uh, if I wrote a book, they'd put it in the fiction section because they'd be like, there's no way this happens. Uh, you know, sellers tend to, um, they, they tend to live one way. And then when they go to sell the home, they clean and they live like it's a model home. And as soon as the home's under contract, they like all their inner, like how I really live kind of pukes all over the house. And sometimes it's pretty incredible, like some just the personal items that people have no shame leaving out. But, uh, but to be honest, what, what, um, a, good, a good example of a home, and a, oh man, so this is one that just happened this year. In fact, just a few weeks ago. So I, I go to a home and uh, the family owned the home. They built the first floor. Granddaddy built the first floor in the 40s. And they lived in it. So it was a one bedroom, one bathroom, living room, and then a garage. Well, they decided that they're going to add on to it. And then they added on to it again. So each like generation added a story up from this uh, 1940s cinder block home construction. Probably shouldn't have been added up three times. Maybe one pop in the top would have worked. But uh, needless to say, they turned a living room into a garage. So a garage is a huge hole in the house. And um, the way the house was designed, that was actually the structural wall that they decided to remove. So um, they probably had, oh, thousands of pounds sitting on the header, which if you look in a normal construction home, a header is probably a 12 to 14 inch micro laminate beam, or maybe even a steel I-beam that's over the garage doors. Well, two two by fours that's what they had <laughs> holding up the whole house so you literally could be in the kitchen upstairs and you could jump and you felt the whole floor system sag so and i'm kind of a bigger guy i was afraid to death of jumping so so they said hey okay so maybe two two by fours wasn't enough so they went ahead and put, put a telephone pole right in the middle of the garage like door opening so you open your garage door to be greeted by a telephone pole that was kind of notched to hold the two by fours in the middle to kind of help support it, you know, cause that that's really going to solve the problem of the right. undersized structure being. So, well then they were like, well, we need another bathroom. So they went ahead and uh, two by six joists, um, PVC plumbing pipe is three inch. So they went ahead and had a two by six joist and they went ahead and drilled four inch holes in the middle of every single one of the floor joists um, just to go ahead and run a new bathroom for the master bath that was above this super safe garage. So not only did they have a two, two by four headers, they, they had like seven joists that were completely cut out. So you had maybe an inch on top and bottom holding this. And there's a, so, uh, presumably a bathtub that gets filled with water that 
Oh, thank goodness it was just a shower. They okay. had that just a shower. No, if you were worrying about how the shower drained, you're in luck because it had a, just a bucket underneath it in the garage to catch oh, the leaks. Okay. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was utterly amazing, utterly amazing. And, uh, you know, but what's funny is out of all those things, all the, the crazy structure, I mean, the whole plumbing, we brought in a plumber. They're going to have to redo the whole plumbing. We do the whole thing. The home still had value because of its one, its location, and two, like all that stuff, as bad and as crazy as that sounds, it could all be fixed. Yeah. Now, granted, it's going to take a few dollars, but even that, that could be fixed. And they used my report as a negotiating tool. And I don't know the exact number. I never know exact numbers what they got off the report, but they got enough off the report to still make it worth, from my inspection report, to still make it worth their while to actually do this. They're going to have to do like a semi teardown of this whole section of the house and rebuild it. And, uh, but because of my inspection report, um, they were able to negotiate that. And that was a huge find. Yeah. Uh, I literally took a picture, one picture of this whole situation that was going on in this new garage that they handmade and sent it to my team and said, I have, there's 10 defects. There's 10 issues in this one picture. I told them pop quiz. I need to name them all. And they, <laughs> they worked together. They, they ended up getting them all. There was a, like an electrical issue and there was a firewall issue and some other minor stuff that, you know, didn't really make it, but, but I mean, this whole home essentially for the last eight years, since they did this remodel was being held up by maybe a total of uh, 22 inches of wood over the 12 foot span. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, if they would have, if they would have had like a water bed in there, it would have been, it would have been curtains. It would have been incredible. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a really good um, point is the negotiations piece to it. Um, you know, investors, they're return on investment focus. And mm-hmm. I mean, you guys have saved us tens and tens of thousands of dollars on our, on our personal portfolio over the years. I mean, our very first deal that we did together, um, I don't know if you remember, but it had that big structural issue in the crawl space. I yeah. won't forget that one. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was, yeah, I will not forget that one. That was, yeah. We negotiated that. that. Yeah. And got that fully repaired. I mean, that's and, amazing. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I know like, as we're doing this chat, um, the market is hot right now and people are waiving inspections. Um, as a home inspection company, if you want to waive the inspection, I get it. You know, you're like, Hey, this is money we can't afford. Uh, I would say never, ever waive the inspection, but I do offer a product, Jenny, that um, we do just the major systems. So the structure, the roof, the furnace, the electrical panel, and the water heater. And then we could do a sewer scope and a, um, and a, a sewer scope and a radon test if needed. And it's one, it's, it's more cost effective. It's less money because we obviously are doing that stuff, but it's good for investors. If they're like, look, we're going to gut job this anyway, Mm -hmm. but we want someone else to look at the major systems. We offer that too. So just as kind of a a helpful thing in in this crazy market. But uh, yeah, uh, as I've seen kind of your portfolio, we had, we had some fun, didn't we? Um, And they, wasn't there a bit of asbestos in an attic one time we discovered in a, and that, that kind of goes also with the quality inspection company. Like those folks had purchased that home really recently and the guy wouldn't, or didn't go in the attic. And of course I kind of popped up there. And like I said, like 
this glory, I can fit in some small holes. You'd be surprised. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, there was asbestos in that attic. So Yeah. And, and um, the handyman wiring that you found uh, with the extension cord running under the floor to power the oven. That was a little bit frightening that, that you found that one. <laughs> <laughs> So that, needless to say, got got yeah. fixed as well. <laughs> or negotiated to be fixed, so, yeah. <laughs> so potential investors listening, right? Yeah. I mean, you're hearing us chat about some stuff, but the good news is it's all fixable. Like, yes. I yep. very, very rarely see something that can't be fixed. Yep. So exactly. If you go in that, yeah, yeah. Man, we've had some, we've had some stories, haven't we? Some some fun uh, crawl space sewer scopes and some yep. kind of occupied inspections <laughs> that were a little interesting. I know so. uh, Gary on your team found a uh, tree trunk holding up a home not yep. too long ago. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's coming right from the source, you know. Just just don't bother milling it or engineering it. Just just cut it down and stack it in there. So yeah, we've so. had. <laughs> uh, we had uh, uh, Jared also found um, a couple Home Depot like cement pallets. They're 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 sturdier, you know, with a car jack that was supporting oh. a home. Yeah, that was a good one. So it was a two ton jack, so you know it was it was not nearly strong enough, but it was there. Yeah. It was there. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes your role is just the beginning um, to the dis- discovery process, you know, because like once you guys identify an area of problem that's when during that inspection objection period resolution period you want to call in that licensed um, professional to come in and and provide an assessment on how to fix that and that's kind of what you use to tailor your negotiations at that point so yeah it's a so it's a, a it's a deep process but it's a very important one to get into yeah and I think used right, the uh, inspection report can be a negotiation thing. And in this hot market, if you're, let's say you are going to sell one of your reports, we can come into a pre-listing inspection. We can find everything. We detail it out. And even if it's bad, like even if there's like a bunch of stuff and you can literally say, hey, you know, uh, we know about this. We're not going to fix it. And we've priced the home accordingly. Make your offers, but we're not yeah. fixing any of this. So sometimes doing a pre-listing inspection takes the teeth out of the negotiating too. Uh, if you have investments that you're looking to turn, maybe uh, I know one of your things is kind of having a smaller one, flipping it and maybe doing what the 1031 exchange, right? And moving up to a bigger one. And there may be a couple surprises on that. Uh, you can on that 1031 flip where you're not going to get as much money as you wanted. Well, if we come in, we do a pre-inspection one gives you an opportunity to fix some stuff before you list it. And then we'll come back in and amend the report. Uh, the other thing too, is that you can say, Hey, you know, this is what's wrong. And it, <laughs> like in this market, you're saying, look, we know it and we're not fixing it. So yeah, price to make your offers. Yeah. Make your offers. So, <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. seeing a lot of that. Uh, the sold as is, type situation. And I mean, I always recommend to my clients still get a a third party inspection and include the inspection termination. That way, you know, you're of the understanding that you're not able to negotiate at that point. That's just kind of where we are in the market in some cases, but never put yourself in a position where you're married to that property or else you're going to lose your earnest money. Um, So I think that's really, um, you know, important to have that 
that done. And, um, yeah. And, and something else that, uh, I appreciate about you guys is, I don't know if you remember the one inspection that we, you know, walked in, saw a couple of things. The house was just so bad. Um, and we're just like, okay, I think we can, <laughs> we can just kind of cancel this one <laughs> yeah. at yeah. this point. <laughs> I do yeah. know it was a ranch style home. I remember yeah. that one. Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. It's just some things yeah. just, uh, you know, don't pencil out and I, you know, it's good to have that opinion something that you don't see beneath the surface yeah and i <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean and as um as your new potential clients and everyone who's listening to these uh these podcasts because you're a rock star and uh your company is just incredibly doing incredible things i mean I, i've got to see that grow uh you know using you you have firsthand knowledge and you can advise your clients like hey i've been down this road personally i've done it and uh, that's that's invaluable information like experience you just can't you can't treat you should write a book oh <laughs> oh i think you did i think people should read it too but uh no it's um the the home inspection is a is a great tool and it also gives you as the um as the buy, a buyer to kind of marinate on the decision, you know, also marinate on that because sometimes it can be emotional. And I know a lot of investors are great at, you know, just what does the spreadsheet say? Does the money work? Does this work? But every now and then there's a little hint of, could I actually rent this out? Like, like would I, would I be okay with that? There's a little morality sometimes involved in that too. And, and being able to spend two or three hours in a home and being comfortable with it, uh, also it can give a peaceful feeling about the investment. So, yeah. Well, Mark, this was just fantastic. I could listen to your stories all day. It's just so enlightening and so incredibly helpful for, uh, people that are, you know, investing in homes, no matter what strategy you're participating in. So would you be able to share with everybody, uh, how to get in contact with you? And then we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes as well in case you're case you're driving and can't write this down. Yes. Uh, thank you. Um, topchoiceinspectors.com. Uh, we've got an online schedule you can book there, or you can reach us by phone at uh, 719-581-7080. And uh, we're, we work from uh, South Denver all the way to North Pueblo. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mark. This was, this was fantastic. Hey, thank you. <laughs> oh, man. I... Yeah. Next time. So, you know, teaser for next time, my data play, we'll, uh, we'll have to get together and I'll have a, a couple other doozies for you. So. <laughs> Sounds good. It sounds like a plan. Well, thank right. you. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks everybody.